built on the rock, children of the heavenly father, on my heart imprint your image, rejoice, rejoice believers, and so much more. Hi, this is Pastor Will Whedon inviting you to join us for our hymn sing at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. This year's theme, Northern Lights, Danish and Scandinavian hymns. Making the Case is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. Find out more and register at issuesetc.org. We can thank Hillary Clinton in 2016 for the worst platform language in the history of the platform language. (laughs) And it was clear she didn't want to vote, so uh, I guess she got what she asked for. For many, politics is becoming their religion, both on the right and on the left. And I think that it's important that we recognize that this is ultimately a spiritual battle. You can't make the mistake of letting the power of the gospel deny the accountability of the human being to resist and reject what God gives. This is Jeff in Michigan, Lutheran layman, learning Latin, love, issues, etc. Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctificator, Norman. It is listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit, joy. There is a lot of joy in Scripture. There's also a lot of sorrow But is sorrow the opposite of joy or is something else the opposite of joy? And how do we sort out the difference between joy as Scripture presents it to us and what we are offered by the world? And that is mere happiness, as we Americans like to say, the pursuit of happiness. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We continue our series on the words of Scripture. Today, the word joy. Pastor Will Whedon will be our guest. A little bit later, Peter Hassan, author of the new book, The Manipulators, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Big Tech's War on Conservatives. We'll talk about social media's censorship of pro-life information. Those Super Bowl ads and that halftime show that everyone is buzzing about will be the subject when we talk with Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse of the Ruth Institute. Then we'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in particular his words about anxiety with Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel. Joining us for our series on the words of Scripture today, the word joy, Pastor Will Whedon, Assistant Pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Formerly served as Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, he hosts the daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and he's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Pray, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. What's the difference between these two states of mind, states of heart, perhaps, that are often confused with one another or conflated into one another? Joy, the subject for today, and happiness. Wow, that is a great question. There is a very odd line in the liturgy for Good Friday that might get us into the mystery of joy and how it differs from happiness. And it occurs in connection with the adoration of the Holy Cross. Listen to these words. We adore you, O Lord, and we praise and glorify your holy resurrection. For behold, By the wood of your cross, joy has come into all the world. Isn't that striking? The source of joy for all the world being the cross? What does that mean? Well, if you think back to what we covered last time on love, specifically God's agape love for this sinful world, 
you remember that we saw love not as something floating free in God, but something always tied to Christ, even from eternity. So 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that's the joy of the cross, that God so loved us as to be a propitiation, a sacrifice of atonement, a wiping out of our sins. And he did this in his son on the cross. And this is joy for all the world. For there he was busy at work, taking away the sins of the world. And so you've got that utterly odd name for the day, right? Good Friday. It's called good because on that day, God in his goodness brought joy to the fallen world. So back to your question, happiness. Well, happiness depends on happenings. Is the sun shining? I like sunshine. Is the weather pleasant? I like pleasant weather. Were the children good? Was the lady in the store rude or kind? Did my spouse look at me the wrong way? And so on and on and on. I mean, just take the sunshine thing for a minute. I have no idea why it happens. Does this happen to you too? When I'm out in the sunshine and I'm just soaking it in and loving it, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, the sun goes behind a cloud. I feel it inside myself instantly. There's like this emotional drop. Boom. It happens as soon as the as the sun disappears. And, and I'm like, seriously, it's just a cloud. <laughs> but how much of our life really is like that all kinds of ups and downs this emotional roller coaster of sorts all governed by stuff way beyond our control just reacting to it as it comes to us today i'm happy today i'm sad <laughs> you know and and then into this world with all of its ups and downs and and and, and happiness always depending on happenings burst the church and if there's one thing that the church in her beginning was, it was a bringer of joy. She had a message from God to bring that filled hearts to overflowing with astonished delight. It gave her supernatural courage and hope. The church showed up in history as the joy bringer. And I think Nietzsche was 100% right when he observed, hey, you Christians lost the world when you lost your joy. When the joy was no longer the authentic gift of God in Christ that the church existed to bear witness to, her witness grew weak and her strength faltered. You wanted to start scripturally at a time that was not very joyful for the people of God. Right there in the book of Nehemiah, it's Better than it was. It isn't exile, but this isn't what it used to be. Yeah, uh, Nehemiah 8.10. So it's an odd place to start. I admit that. <laughs> you know, But it's one of the key places to start if you're going to get what joy is in the church. The exiles who returned, as well as the Jews who remained in the land, they had, quote, assembled as one man, Nehemiah 8.1. So joy, joy in the assembly, first of all. And they, they assembled in the square before the water gate in Jerusalem. And Ezra the priest, accompanied by a number of Levites, he mounted the pulpit or the lectern, if you will. And in the sight of God and the people of God, he opened up the scroll of God's word. And as soon as the people see him opening up the scroll, 
up they stand. And Ezra blesses God. The people say, amen, amen. And then they they, they, they can't stay standing. Some of them bow. They, they put their heads down to the ground before the one who is about to speak to them in his word. And they, they stand and listen. And this odd thing begins happening as Ezra begins the reading. The Levites helping the people get the sense of the text, probably because, you know, their Hebrew was getting a bit rusty And the Levites probably explained it to them in Aramaic, which is the language by that time that they'd come to speak most every day. The people all started crying. And their crying turned to louder lamentation. They heard and understood the words of God's law. And you know what came through to them? We haven't done this. We've not kept these commandments and we've been justly punished and indeed even though we've been brought back to the land we still haven't kept it and we are worthy of even more punishment to come so the tears and the groans and the sorrow godly sorrow wrought by the word of god at work but then up stands the governor nehemiah and probably a eunuch by the way and he utters the most profound words. This day, it's holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to any who has nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of of the Lord is your strength. And the word for strength there, that's like mountain stronghold, place of safety or your refuge, the place you can enter and breathe a sigh of relief. The refuge that God provides for you is Yahweh's own joy. That's what Nehemiah told the people and they quieted it down and they did as he said. And then in 8 12, they made great rejoicing because they'd understood the words of God that were declared to them. God puts his joy into words for you so that they might become your refuge, your place of safety and hiding to which you may go and know then the steady joy that's way beyond all the ups and downs of happiness. This joy grows from understanding the words of God. And if we track on a little further in Nehemiah, we also encounter this beautiful moment in chapter 12 as the choirs are processing and giving their praise. Verse 43, they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Isn't that beautiful? The word orchestrating sort of like a dance, that's what a procession is, as the people assemble before the Lord with songs of praise and the Lord who was present there filled them, filled them to overflowing with his joy. What is the relationship between the holiness of God, this day is holy unto the Lord, and the people's joy? Well, it's set aside to be given to hearing the word of God. What makes the day holy is the hearing of the word of God. And the hearing of the word of God is what 
is the fountain of their joy, even though it first brings them to tears. It finally is transformed into joy. So if we want joy in our lives, don't neglect the third commandment. Go hear the words and promises of God read in the assembly as you gather together, sing his praises, and let the world then hear the joy that explodes. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. It's our series on the words of scripture today, the word joy. When we come back, he will take us into Psalm 16. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, is the author of our book of the month for February. It's titled, Without Flesh. What does the church have to offer the world in this present darkness? Find out in Without Flesh. It's published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. book of the month for February, Without Flesh, by Pastor Jonathan Fisk. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. Recently graduated from high school or college and looking for a chance to serve a community in need while sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Lutheran Young Adult Corps may be for you. Lutheran Young Adult Corps provides opportunities for long-term, full-time service for 10 weeks through the summer or 10 months over the school year in places like St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Boston. Find out more about Lutheran Young Adult Corps by finding us online at lcms.org slash Y-A-C-O-R-P-S or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Lutheran Y-A Corps. Do you know any military veterans in your church or community? Do you have a passion to support and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then Operation Barnabas is for you. Called by Christ's love, Operation Barnabas engages, empowers, and equips LCMS faith communities to provide hope, healing, and support to military-connected persons living in their community. Operation Barnabas is a program of LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces, Find out more at lcms.org slash armed forces. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. On this Tuesday afternoon, February the 4th, our series, The Words of Scripture, continues. Today, the word is joy. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest, host of a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Well, next you wanted to take us to Psalm 16, the last verse. Yeah, well, actually, we're going to go a little further than the last verse. <laughs> so Psalm 16 is really great. It, 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 it helps us get this great truth about joy. C.S. Lewis loved to hammer this home. In Psalm 16, we pray, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, Peter, in the book of Acts, makes it abundantly clear. David, in this passage, is 
not speaking in his own person here. He's speaking prophetically in the person of Christ, speaking of his death in which his flesh would still dwell secure and would see no corruption, that he would not be abandoned to the grave. I think, though, there is a turn then in the psalm, and as he thinks of Christ and his incorruption and death and his vindication in the resurrection, the psalmist cries out to Christ, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That is, Jesus, dead but incorrupt, then risen and alive forevermore. He is made the very path of life, the way, the truth, the life. He's the fountain of joy. His presence is the fountain of joy. Joy is the byproduct of being in the presence of God, particularly the presence of God in Christ Jesus, crucified and risen for the sins of the world. You want joy? That's where you got to look for it. And I mentioned Lewis. He's golden on this. Joy is always a byproduct. No one ever gets it by pursuing it. No one ends up joyful by chasing after joy. One ends up joyful by chasing after the presence of the crucified and risen one. So that's why the psalmist cried a little later in Psalm 43, verse 4, I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Or again in Psalm 45, verse 15, with joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. You see, his presence in the palace is what's sparking the joy. Or again, Psalm 63, verse 7, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. That is, in God's presence, before the outspread wings of the cherubim over the mercy seat where the blood is. And the word for mercy seat there, that's the exact same word that you have for the atonement, the propitiation, which is the name John actually gives Jesus in 1 John 2. He is the propitiation, the covering, the mercy seat. To be in his presence then is to join in a song of joy. And will you yell at me if we have just a brief detour on singing. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Singing is the byproduct of joy. Old grumps, they don't like to sing. Nothing is more antithetical to grousing than melody and song. And what is the church but an explosion of joyful song into this world? Todd, you literally could study it this way. Something happened in history that suddenly set people singing together with overflowing joy. People in all sorts of diverse circumstances of all nationalities and colors across all kinds of economic lines, across the lines of male or female or slaves or free, all began to sing and to praise Christ in whose presence they now lived. I have set the Lord always before me. So joy and song simply go together. And it's no accident that when the joy of the gospel came bursting forth in the Reformation, it came as an explosion of joyful music. Just think about Luther's 
first really great hymn of the Reformation. Dear Christians, one and all, rejoice with exultation singing and with united heart and voice and holy rapture springing. Proclaim the wonders God has done, how his right arm the victory won, what price our ransom cost him. I'm telling you, there simply is no other phenomenon in human history that has elicited such a rippling effect of music that spread outward around the globe like the joy bomb Jesus exploded on his cross. It's one of the rather embarrassing facts to modern-day leftist sorts. The whole treasury, well, the vast majority of the treasury of the world's music is in the service of and inspired by and tied to Jesus Christ and the sacred scriptures. Well, far from being embarrassed by it, the church glories that that vast treasure trove is hers, and she faithfully uses it as one of the ways that our joy in God through song reaches out and summons others to join with us and joy with us in his presence in the gift of the Son. That's why the mission impulse of the church is tied to her worship. She literally brings the worship of the triune God to the nations. So Psalm 67, verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. She brings her liturgies and hymns as gifts to the nations so that they can hear and believe and come to sing along with her the song of joy in the presence of Christ. I want to ask you about that, since you're on the issue of singing. Yesterday, I went and attended a concert for a choral group that my son sings in and went to St. Peter's Cathedral in Belleville. You've been in there. Oh, yeah. Stunning place. Mm -hmm. Marvelous place for just to hear music, period. Made for sound. (laughs) Every single one of the pieces, the choral pieces that they performed was either drawn from the liturgy, they like doing Kyrie's. This is not a religious group, by the way, mm-hmm. entirely secular, or made a clear Christian confession. They even sang settings of hymns. I'm looking at this group, first the audience, and I'm saying, I know maybe two-thirds of the people here believe this. The other third, who knows what they believe? Up there in the choir, I know the director believes it because he's a professing Christian, but, I, but the rest of the, it's a secular choir. And I'm pondering this. I'd like your thoughts on this. God is being praised in spite of the beliefs of those who are singing these songs. I am hearing this praise of God. I'm rejoicing in it. But I know the people who are actually singing the words may not believe it at all. Even stones will cry out, right? (laughs) So what do we do with that when the world loves box St. Matthew's passion? But they love it just because it sounds great. Well, there's always the hope that the joy that is actually implanted in the music to the words will reach out and touch hearts. And it actually has done this across history, right? You know, when people hear the great joyful music of the church, at first the joy becomes sort of, you know, it's, it's well, put it this way, it enters as happiness, but they may by the words penetrate from the happiness to the actual joy itself. And when that takes place, you reach a moment of openness that the Holy Spirit uses to plant that seed of the word and with it, the gift of joy into their own hearts. It's carried all the way in. Music gets past your 
your guards that you set up that you want to, you know, little sinful man in his autonomy, he doesn't, you know, he's made his, his defenses that try to save him from any kind of divine influence to protect him from God. Right. And then along comes music sneaking through and it's like the Trojan horse. But the time it's inside, it's too late. And how many times that's happened across history. Yeah. Can I go to one more example that's sort of tied to this same whole thing? Sure. Uh, I know I mentioned it. I don't know how many times on issues, et cetera, but I just find it absolutely fascinating that in the first official Roman document that we have dealing with the Christian problem, right? You know, the, the report, what are these people up to? You have Pliny writing that eh, they seem to get together before dawn on a certain day. And what do they do? Well, they're singing praises to some Christos as to a God doesn't quite get the spelling right, but he's, he's mostly got it right there. But isn't that glorious that the first thing the Romans noted about Christians was that they got together and sang to Christ in his presence, not singing about some absent Lord, but singing to the present one whose sacrifice on the cross remained the very gathering point around which they assemble as they read the scriptures and prayed. Everything permeated with the joy of his presence. And one last psalm passage, if you'll permit it. We could stay in the psalms forever, and we'd never run out of joy. <laughs> you know? but psalm 119, verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. God's words. Just as we sing in the hymn, which, by the way, we will feature at this summer's Making the Case conference, written by one of those northerners, God's word is our great heritage and shall be ours forever. I want to stay with Psalm 119 for just a minute because the entire thing is an unmistakably joyful ode to God's word. Mm -hmm. There is nothing in that psalm that I know of that is like, woe is me. Some of the psalms do complain. This one is simply one positive statement about the word of God and it's placed in our lives after another. Yeah, I mean, it does say that we've all gone astray. Like, yeah, well, sure, you know, I mean, it acknowledges it, it, that. But, but, but it's, it does that in the presence of the, but he seeks us. He finds us. His word does its job. It's a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. It's, it's it, Yeah, it's the, very the, joyful for however many verses it has. Yeah, it just goes on forever. It seems like, uh, you know, it's one of the most beautiful Psalms and certainly the longest. And uh, our, our dear Dr. Luther, man, did he love that psalm. He thought it was just the key to unpacking the whole Psalter. It's our series, The Words of Scripture. Today, the word is joy. Our guest is Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Pastor Whedon will be leading three worship services and the hymn sing at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. You'll find a conference schedule, lodging, and registration information at issuesetc.org. Making the case June 12th and 13th in Chicago. We'll be in Isaiah 12 next. week on the word of the Lord endures forever. We'll study the spirit of truth 
Jesus leaves his peace, the true vine, greater love, hatred, and persecution. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, as we continue our walk through St. John's Gospel on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, teaches St. Paul. But what about those who cannot hear? Can they be saved? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness illuminates this topic and others, including hearing the gospel while singing the faith, how to listen to sermons, and proclaiming the gospel in foreign lands. Come, learn how the church confesses the word in words. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org witness. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. This is our series on the words of Scripture. Today, the word is joy. Next, you wanted to mine some joy from Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah 12 is a song of praise. And if you listen carefully, it's a song of praise for Christ and his means of grace. And so a song of overflowing joy. You will say in that day, I will give thanks, that is make Eucharist, to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Ah, where to even begin? First of all, why does God's anger turn away from me? And why does he comfort me? What happened that that happened? Answer, Jesus. So God himself comforting me, I trust and am not afraid. He's my strength. He's my song. He's my salvation. And so, this is what I really want to underline, with joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. Oh, people loved by God, do you realize that that's what your congregation is? It's a well of salvation where through baptism and absolution and Eucharist and the reading and the preaching of the word, the salvation Christ won once for all comes tumbling out into our world. So when we gather together as church, we're gathering together around the wells, the springs of salvation, and we do it with thanksgiving and song, making known the great things that God in Christ has done for us all. So shout and sing for joy, inhabitant of Zion, one who lives by the springs or wells of eternal life. Remember Psalm 134? There at Zion, the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. (laughs) Great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Think about how we do this. So you come to the divine service and you know, you cry out, Alleluia, 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 as the gospel book is, is carried to the congregation. And then 
as it's opened and pastor announces the gospel, you cry out to Jesus, glory to you, O Lord. And then when it's done, praise to you, O Christ. His presence is everywhere confessed. And this is the source of joy. And whenever the divine service or any of the church's liturgies get reduced to have-tos, you just lose this great reality that you're coming to them to dip your dipper into the wells of salvation that overflow with eternal life. And it's all free and all gift and all joy. And so, as we said so many times, evangelism is at its real heart, just grabbing a hold of your neighbor, your child, your friend, anyone saying, look, here's a secret you got to know about. Here's more than enough for you and for me. Come, let's drink and laugh and sing together. It's awesome. You mentioned it, but I want to emphasize that last verse. Great in your midst. He's there. He's in the midst. He's not a distant Lord. His greatness has come among the people of the Old Testament and among us as well in Christ. And that means that the the source of joy is right there. Uh, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. But where two or three gather together in the name of Jesus, he is there in the midst of them. The source of joy being God, being Christ, being what Christ has done that turned away God's anger from you forever. Was it, did you say Lewis said, if you want joy, you don't, you can't pursue joy. You yeah, you can't chase joy. Pursue the source of joy in Jesus Christ. He, he actually wrote this entire book on this, Surprised by Joy, which is absolutely wonderful. And it's the story of his conversion, more or less. And, and, and it very much that picture of the person chasing the butterfly, right? You try to chase it, hang it up sit still and guess what happens it just comes and sits on your shoulders he said that's how it is when you stop chasing after an emotional experience of joy and you pursue instead what's true what's right you do that and the end result is you have the gift of joy as a byproduct so can we look at one more passage from isaiah isaiah 35 which is probably Oh, I hate saying this because I think it. there are times I feel like like the way Luther did, where everything that he's looking at at the current moment, he says, this is the greatest, this is the best, this is my favorite. Well, this is the greatest and the best and my favorite at the moment. From Isaiah 35, when Messiah comes, Isaiah foretells, people will see the glory of God. And it happens as he comes to save. Blind eyes get opened. Deaf ears get unstopped. Lame men are leaping around like deers. Mute tongues begin singing for joy. And he's leading a procession then, a joyful procession on his way of holiness. And it's safe there. Nothing to worry about. You're just headed home. You've been ransomed. You've been bought. You've been set free from your slavery. So home you come, home to Zion. And as you go, What do you do? You sing. And why do you sing? Because everlasting joy, everlasting joy, joy that has no end is on your head. Crowns usually go on heads, but he's given you a crown that glitters more than gold, more impressive than that monstrosity that Queen Elizabeth wears. (laughs) Your crown is a joy that never ends. A joy with the power to chase away all sorrow and all sighing. I mean, at the sight of that joy, they turn tail and run. I mean, this is what God gives you 
in Jesus Christ. So Isaiah has so much more to say about, about joy, and, and, and we will have to look at more in the Old Testament before we can move to joy in the New Testament next time, but we should be able to do both. Is this why, and kind of anticipating what we're going to be talking about in the New Testament, is this why heaven, eternal life, the resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth, are depicted in these superlative terms of joy, a joy which knows no sorrow. This life, it's it's always it's, tinged. We're kind of Irish that way. We, every <laughs> every joy is bought with a little bit of sorrow. Yeah. You pay for the joy, so to speak, at least in a human sense. But the depictions of the resurrection are unalloyed joy because of being in the presence of Christ Himself. Yeah, a joy and a blessedness that we just have. I mean, in this life, you get at the most glimpses, right? I mean, I still remember in my youth attending a Palm Sunday. It was a midday service. No, it wasn't. It was not. I take it back. It was not midday. It was actually Palm Sunday in the morning. And I remember afterward just walking home with the palm branch in my hand and the the hymns ringing through me and thinking life doesn't, you know, of course it was spring. It was one of those times that, that, that nature was cooperating with the celebration of our Lord's uh, passion and resurrection. And I just remember the overflowing joy of it was just, it, it just took my breath away. And that doesn't last. I mean, that comes in, in these flashes for us. Maybe you've been to an Easter service where it felt like that. Or maybe it was at, at a kid's wedding. You know, we, we have that happen too, right? Or, or some other joyful occasion. Now, I might even just be being out in nature sometimes and seeing a beautiful thing, a sight that takes your breath away. And you think, this is perfect. Or one of those days that was just so golden. You're like, don't set. Please stay up, 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 up. Don't, don't, don't set. This was too perfect. Well, imagine that without end. And that only being the teasing is taste of what's actually headed your way. Those moments where we just have that teasing taste, a Christian might say, well, I'm supposed to find all my joy in Christ. I shouldn't be finding it in all these things. But does having joy in Christ permit the Christian then to receive all these good things? And we dare say even some of the bad things. Even the bad things are joys. Absolutely. And I, I, boy, we can't even underline that enough. Do not think like, I don't want to be unkind to them, but I mean, the historical Puritans, you know, the, the idea that somebody might somewhere be enjoying themselves and that needs to be put to a stop. <laughs> you know, in Christ, you've been given this great joy that spills out over all of life and all of life comes back to you then as great joy. Every last bit of it. There was that blessed knot in, I mean, he was a, he was a holy saint in, in Russia in the 19th century, Seraphim of Seraph, by all accounts. I mean, the man, he had great insight into this. And he, he just simply said, the very purpose of life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit turns everything that he touches into joy. And that's so true, because the Holy Spirit shows you everything as yours in Christ. Paul would say that, all things are yours. You know, life, death, it doesn't matter. It's all yours. And, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And it doesn't get any better than that. And when we have that insight and can, can look into the world that way, then the sunsets are testimonies to Christ. They call us home to the Father. Everything about life itself then testifies to Christ. I was talking recently with Pastor Christopher Eskett. You know him well. And he was relaying something about a, a third pastor, Pastor Nabil Noor, 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, I know him well too. And he said, I've learned something from Nabil, which is that I Nabil gives thanks for everything. It doesn't moment matter. Moment by moment, it's, yes. he's just thankful all the time and he explicitly thanks God for all these things. Is that part of the issue of this joy? It is. It really is. In fact, you heard it in Isaiah 12 when we did it, right? You know, I mean, there, there's give thanks is tied very much to the joy. Thanksgiving is the recognition of the gift of joy in whose presence we are. And certainly our dear brother Nabil is, is very gifted in calling us all to find our joy in the Lord in every circumstance, in every time. It's a great gift. I think we need to say a little something about the opposite of joy in the Christian life. And we wouldn't say sorrow, which is, that's usually the pair there. Yeah, I, I, I disagree that it would be sorrow. In fact, would it be despair? What would it be? Despair, I would also say anxiety. And anxiety is simply despair. You know, despair rather is anxiety to the max, right? But anxiety is fear and worry because that means you've forgotten the presence that you're living in. It's always the result of forgetting in whose presence you are, from whose hand all things come. It's the exact opposite. We passed this day not too long ago, so I, the picture is always in my mind around this time of the year of St. John Chrysostom at the end of his life in exile, dying, sick, you know, sick and dying in exile. And he he's hasn't even reached where he's being exiled to and is on the way. He dies. And he dies with the words, glory to God for all things on his lips. And, and what a beautiful picture that is. A man who then, instead of fretting and worrying, is filled with joy and thanksgiving because he knows in whose presence he lives and from whose hand all things come. Pastor Whedon, before we let you go, what are you going to be studying with your listeners on the word of the Lord endures forever this week? Well, this week we will be looking at the spirit of truth that Jesus sends. We're going to be looking at Jesus saying, I leave you peace and him calling himself the true vine. And we really want to underline that word true to think about what that means. What's he contrasting it with? What's not the true vine then? A greater love and hatred and persecution that come to the disciples of Jesus as they live with him. Listen to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever at thewordendures.org or on the LPR mobile app. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He hosts a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio, called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and he's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. You'll find a link to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and you can purchase his books at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Will, thank you. Hey, thank you, Todd. Peter Hassan joins us on the other side of the break, author of the new book, The Manipulators, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and Big Tech's War on Conservatives. We'll talk about social media censorship of pro-life information and ads. Looking for a foreign language program that will revolutionize your students' vocabulary knowledge and their understanding of grammar? 
How about a program that teaches critical thinking skills, too? Look no further than Memoria Press's Latin curriculum. Students of all ages can use these Latin study programs. Give your students the gift of Latin today. To order, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next order by using the coupon code LPR20. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Listen to what you want, when you want. You're listening to Issues Etc. There are so many issues throughout all levels of government that smart Christians need to view it as a way to care for our neighbor by making good decisions. Molly Hemingway talking about her joint presentation with her husband, Mark, at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The federal government has gotten much more involved in family formation or family destruction, abortion, other issues. And and there are so many ways in which it's important for us to think about how we can defend the weak and vulnerable among us by making good decisions. You can meet and hear journalist Molly and Mark Hemingway making the case for Christian political engagement at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. Attendance is limited to 500. Learn more and register at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385.